Welcome to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I'm traveling throughout my home state of Maine, interviewing people 60 and above about their lives and what it's like to be growing older. Today's conversation is with someone who came into people's homes for nearly 40 years, not through the front door, but through their television sets. He was, and always will be, a meteorologist, one with a distinct New York accent. Join me as I talk to Joe Cupo about why he loves the weather so much and what life is like now that he has retired. Well, here I am in the kitchen of Joe Cupo. A lot of people are gonna know, Joe Cupo, oh my goodness. And what happened to me is that even 10 years after I went off the air, and I didn't have the notoriety that you have, people would say, I still watch you every day. Oh, yeah. You get that? People will say they still watch you? Well, it, it almost gets you into an embarrassing situation because it's, oh, we love you on TV, and how do you tell them? Well, I haven't been on the air for over three years. And then if it comes up, you know, that I retire, oh, you're retired. You know, when did you retire? I don't want to tell them <laughs> because, you know, you feel like I don't want to offend anybody. But, yeah, it's interesting how, uh, I guess, you know, I, it's so true that time goes by so fast, and the older you get, the faster it goes. And I think for most people, you know, they just, they lose track. So, yeah, it wasn't just yesterday that I saw you, you know. I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that, too, because it does feel like just yesterday. Yeah. And you said three years ago you retired? Yeah, because ret- it does seem like yesterday to me. Mm, no, I, I retired in April of 2016. So it's over, you know, it's three and a half years. Now, we can't take it for granted that the entire state of Maine knows Joe Cupo. So I'm going to give you the opportunity opportunity to introduce yourself. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Well, I was the uh, chief meteorologist at Channel 6, WCSH, for 37 years. I started in 1979. Do you miss it? Um, not really. It, it changed, Diane. You know, the whole business changed so much, and the, the job that I fell in love with was no longer that job. So, uh, no, there's really nothing to miss. So the day you decided to retire, you knew it was time. Absolutely. Yep, it was definitely time. The world is changing, and... I, I, was, I was becoming a dinosaur, you know, <laughs> trying to do things the old-fashioned way, and they didn't want that. What was the hardest thing in terms of technology? I think the whole thing now is this move toward digital media. Um, you know, I, I was, my focus was always on television and doing the show and getting a good show on TV, a show that people can understand. It come away from that show with some understanding and some knowledge of why the weather is going to be what it is. And... It was getting harder and harder to do that because of the emphasis on the digital. You know, they wanted you on Facebook. They wanted you on Twitter. And there's only so much you can do, you know, in, in the time that you have. So I found that, you know, they were taking the, my focus had to be away from the TV, the actual show, and more toward the digital world. And I didn't particularly care for that. What about now that you're retired? Do you have a presence in social media? Joe Cupo, the person? None whatsoever. I'm not on Facebook. Um... I still go online every day, and I look at all the weather guidance. I still forecast the weather. It's a hobby, you know. <laughs> um, but as far as, uh, you know, again, that whole social th- scene, Diane, I had a horrible experience with it. Um, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the Kenny Bunk woman, the, the, the Zumba dancer. You remember when they crashed that, and there was a list, and uh, someone said that my name was on that list. And I'll never forget how that went viral, you know, on mm-hmm. social media. And Debbie had the store in Freeport at the time. She had people coming into the store 
we're, you know, we're sorry to hear that Joe is cheating on you. We're sorry to, you know, I mean, it was just horrible, and it was totally fabricated. Wow. So after that whole, in fact, Bill Green's name was also, Bill Green and I were both um, accused of being on this, you know, alleged list that she had. And, you know, neither of us was, was true. But I think because of that, I had a really bad taste in my mouth and so, so social media, and uh, I never really got into it. We should explain to people that Debbie is your wife. Yeah, Debbie was my wife. She had a, a store in Freeport, Main Wreath and Flower. And I remember it was just horrible. She, she came home one Saturday night in tears because of all the people that came in on, you know, who assumed that this, what they saw, was true. And I don't know if you remember, but I had to go on the air and do a mea culpa with Cindy. We actually did an interview where she asked me, you know, have you ever been down there? It's like, no, I haven't. And thank God I had that ability to do that. Uh, you know, I mean, someone who was accused of this, who didn't have my platform, what would you do, you know? So, yeah, we did that. And after we did that, um, that kind of silenced it quite a bit. But, I mean, everywhere I went, my eye doctor, my dentist, they were all like, you know, we've known you for so many years. We have to ask you, is it true? Wow. And it was, it was horrible. And all because of somebody who just made up this thing, you know, on Facebook. After that, I wanted nothing to do with Facebook or any of that stuff. And yet, because of your job and what the expectations were, you had to be on social media then. Yeah, exactly. You know, they were, they were forcing it on us. And, you know, it also got to the point where, you know, those, how do you want to say, there are no boundaries anymore as far as hours when you're working. You know, it's like they want you on Twitter even when you're not working. You know, you're supposed to be telling people, I went for a bike ride today. I went to the store today. You know, I, I, that's just not me, Diane. Yeah. You know, I'm not into telling people about my life. And uh, I, I think everybody needs a little privacy, you know. And uh, working in television, as you know, you don't have a lot of privacy. You know, you're out there and people recognize you. And that's great, you know. And you understand that, you know. But I don't need to be telling people, you know, where I'm going every minute of the day, why I'm doing it, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's, what they were, that's what they want. When we hear your voice, we know in an instant that it's not a main accent we're hearing. <clears throat> Can you talk about where you were raised? You know, it's funny you say that because when I was hired in 1979, I was hired with a six-month probation, a provision that, you know, if it didn't work out, they could let me go. And they were nervous about the New York accent. This Italian from New York is going to come to Maine and do the weather. And um, you remember Bruce McGorrell, right? Uh, they, were, they were like, is this going to really work? Um, obviously, it did. You know, I, I was there 37 years, and the, the wonderful people in Maine accepted me despite my New York accent. But yeah, I grew up on Long Island uh, in, in New York, and um, no matter, I guess, no matter how long you, you are away, you never lose certain things. Yeah. But now when I go home, when, well, I, don't even, I call it home, it's really not home anymore, Maine is my home. But when I go to New York and I talk, they all tell me, you sound funny. I've got a New England twang now, apparently, <laughs> that they pick up on, but I don't say coffee anymore, I say coffee, you know, I don't say dog, I say dog. So, you know, that, I mean, that kind of makes me stand out down there. Tell me about your childhood. It was a great childhood. Growing up uh, on Long Island in the late 50s and early 60s was a great place. Actually, where I grew up in uh, Nassau County in Uniondale was a lot like, say, South Portland. You know, the houses were about that distance apart. Um, it, was, it was a really great place. We used to play baseball in the streets and um, had a wonderful, uh, wonderful childhood. Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, one brother and one sister. I was the oldest, so I was the big cheese, you know, the big chooch, as my mother called me. And um, uh, they're, they're all still down in Long Island. I'm the only one who left the nest. 
Wow. Yeah. And are your parents still alive? No, uh, my dad passed in uh, 2014, and my mom just passed last year, actually, last November. So that's a difficult passage, isn't it, to lose your parents? And it's suddenly you're in that top-tier generation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely different. You know, uh, the people that used to look up to are all gone. And now, you know, there are nieces and nephews who look up to me. I've, I've become the, what do you want to call it, patriarch mm-hmm. of the family, so to speak. Um, yeah, it is, you know, it's difficult. Uh, I had to sell the house, you know, that I grew up in, uh, you know, when my mom moved out. And uh, that was hard because, you know, they had been in that house since 1955. And, you know, finding all these things, they were both pack rats. So as we're cleaning out this house, we're finding all these old, you know, cards we gave them, letters we wrote to them, you know, when we were kids. Uh, man, that was, that was something. A, real, a lot of the stuff I couldn't throw out. You just had to hang on to it. So you brought it home to your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I, I could give you a tour of my house, show you all the things here that used to be in Uniondale. <laughs> yeah. So you're a sentimental guy. I am. Very, very sentimental. I'm an old, old-fashioned sentimental, sentimental guy. Yep. You're Italian. 100%. 100. Both parents were Italian, yeah. Catholic? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, both uh, Catholic. And uh, that's a big part of my life, Diane, uh, my, my religion. Uh, I, Debbie and I were invested in an order called the Equestrian Order of the Holy Sepulchre um, this past year. And um, it's an order that's uh, prim- the primary goal is to try to keep Christianity alive in the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. Everything we do is, is focused on that. Um, and we've met some wonderful people in that order who uh, just have a lot in common with, you know. It's, a it's interesting because for a lot of people who were raised Catholic, you hear the term lapsed Catholic. They don't want to go back to church. And yet, did, well, did you ever go through that or has church always been important to you? No, absolutely. There was a period in my life where I totally left the church, you know, stopped going. And... Um, I don't know, I forget how long that was. It was a pretty long time. And, you know, when I went away to college, um, I kind of fell away from it up in Albany. And when, he, when I first moved to Maine, for many years, I didn't go to church. And then one day, all of a sudden, you know, you talk about the Holy Spirit. You just hear this voice. It comes to you and says, you need to do this. And I remember going back, and it just felt so good. And uh, that was it. That was probably uh, maybe mid-'80s, you know, that that happened. And since then, uh, you know, I mean, I've been going to different churches because I've moved around. Um, but uh, I have to, I, I really need that. It, it, it helps me so much get through life. Yeah. Uh, going to Mass on Sunday, you just you get a reinforcing shot of spirituality that uh, you have to take with you and use it. You know, as you're going every day, meeting people, talking with people, whatever you're doing, even on the phone, in the, the way you drive, Everything you do is influenced by that, you know, because we're, we're taught humility and to care for others. And those are two of the basic tenets of, of, of well, Christianity. Mm-hmm. And if everybody would just adhere to that, this would be, the world would be a much nicer place. Unfortunately, religion is at the root of a lot of not-so-good issues, isn't it? Yeah, it is unfortunate. And um, I know a lot of people use that as an excuse, you know, not to go to, to Mass. You know, been, there's been abuse and... Yeah, I know all about that. I get all that. But that's not going to stop me from pursuing my, my religion or pursuing what I feel is a very important facet of my life. Yeah, there are bad priests out there. And quite frankly, the devil is everywhere. You know, it doesn't matter where you go. Um, and yeah, he, he could also, you know, there could be priests that, are, that are, could be devils. It's, it's very, very unfortunate. 
But that it, it's a test of your faith too. You know, if you you always have to keep your faith. You have to have faith. You have to have hope. And those two things, along with charity, are what should drive your life. And so, at this point in your life, those are things that drive you. Absolutely, every day. I mean, that's one of the great things about retiring now. You know, when I was working, uh, you know, wake up in the morning, and the first thing I would do is, okay, I need to do this, this, this before I go to go go to the station. You know, and there was always a race. And now I can get up and not have to do that anymore. Now I can get up and I can, you know, I can pray. If I want to pray for five or ten minutes and and have a little session with God. Um, it's really nice, and I find that uh, I get through the day a lot better than I used to. Grounds you. Yeah, absolutely. What about the church today as opposed to the church of uh, Little Joe Kupo? <laughs> things have changed. When you talk about the technology changing at the station, have things changed for you in the way Mass is said, for instance? Well, when I was really small, the Mass was in Latin, you know, so you didn't understand a thing. <laughs> Um, fortunately, that's no longer the case. But I mean, now, Diane, I'm so involved with, with the church, uh, you know, being a lector, so I'm up there reading scripture, and being a cantor, and being in the choir. So I feel like I'm actually a part of the Mass more than I was when I was younger. And when I was younger, I was just kind of there. And every, everybody else was, you know, with the priests, the altar boys, they were all parts of the man. You were never an altar boy? No, I was not. I, I, because you had to learn Latin. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know it. So I never became an altar boy. Um, and probably also in my youth, I don't think I was, I felt as strongly about the church as I do now. You know, we, we did it then because we had to. Mm-hmm. You know, our parents said, you will go, you will receive your communion, you will receive your confirmation. Um, you didn't really have any choice. So it was more of a... You know, you were pushed into it. Now it's more voluntary. Now I go because I want to go. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I'm, I'm much more involved. And the great thing about our religion is we're, we're being taught, that, no, there's something out there bigger than us. We are not the center of the universe. You know, we're just like little particles. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes hand in hand with, you know, being humble and being in humility. And yeah, you know, uh, it's not about me. It's about something bigger than me. And that's what they teach us. That's nice. Well, you had another call in your life to be a meteorologist. <laughs> <laughs> so when did that happen? Did you always want to be one? I think that's a gene. I really do. Why? <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, you meet people. Um, I've met so many people who just love weather. You know, oh, I've always wanted to be a meteorologist. And you can just tell how they love it. And I can relate to that because as a kid, um, that's all I wanted to watch on TV was the weather. And down in New York, there was a weather guy named Tex Antoine who gave this great weather show. You know, he'd come on, he was an artist, and he would draw the fronts and the highs and the lows and explain everything. And that's how I started learning about weather. Huh. And it, why? Again, I think, it's, I think it's a gene, a weather gene. So, yeah, from, I don't know, eighth grade, I guess, it started, you know, and um, just pursued that right through the, the very day. I still love it. I mean, even though I'm not on the air anymore, I'm still forecasting. You're sitting there with your cup of coffee or whatever, and you're watching and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I see that front coming. <laughs> well, it, it, you know, all the guidance is online now. Everything, everything is there. You don't need to be working for it. It used to be you had to work for somebody to get the maps and all the stuff you needed to make a forecast. But now it's all on the Internet. Hmm. And uh, I just recently uh, went to a dinner at the, a few of my friends retiring at the National Weather Service. I got invited to that dinner up in Gray. And... Um, you know, they're even giving me more websites. Oh, check this out. Check this out. You're going to love this. And yeah, you know, um, it's all stuff that, you know, when there's a snowstorm coming, 
nothing's changed for me. I still want to know, like I did when I was working at Channel 6. And I know people are going to call me and ask me, so I better you know. still do? Oh, absolutely. You oh, have yeah. your own personal storm centers here? <laughs> yeah, with the music and everything. And the sweater. I, I, wear, I wear a sweater. Um, but no, I know that uh, if there's something happening, if I go out shopping, I know that I'm going to be asked. Yeah. So I almost feel obligated to keep yeah. myself abreast of what's happening. Uh, but but it also, it is a hobby. You know, it's not like I'm doing it. I, I love it. I've, o- I've always loved weather, dying, and I feel guilty that I got paid all those years for doing this because it wasn't work. How do you become a weatherman, though? You have to go to school and you have a lot to learn. Like, it has always amazed me that you weather people can just get up there and you spew out the stuff. You don't have the teleprompters or yeah. anything. Well, you know your stuff. That, that's the gene. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, I mean, you uh, you do have to go to school. You know, you have to study uh, all this. Unfortunately, um, it's the dropout rate is very high because when you try to study meteorology, what most people don't realize is it's very mathematical, mm-hmm. and there's, it's a branch of physics called fluid dynamics. So if you want to go for a degree, you have to learn you know calculus and differential equations, and you know it's it's pretty pretty hairy fluid mechanics. I can't um, imagine. So a lot of people don't make it through that, you know, and it's it's unfortunate. But, um, yeah, you, you get all that stuff, and then, you know, you come out, and uh, then they, you know, you also learn how to interpret the guidance, you know, because the computer models, most people would look at that and say, what is this? But, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're taught how to interpret the, uh, the, the numerical guidance and uh, translate all these numbers into tomorrow is going to be partly sunny, high near 40. And that was, I've always said, that's my job. I'm a translator. You know, I'm, I go to work, I look at all the stuff, and I take all these numbers and all these lines, <laughs> you know, and I turn that into, oh, tomorrow it's going to snow. You know, we're looking for four inches. So you're not actually predicting. You're not just pulling it out of your hat. <laughs> But you are looking at all these models, and it is showing you. But sometimes it turns out not to be accurate. Yeah, Yeah, for one of two reasons. Either the models were wrong, which they can be. Models are not perfect. They're not the real world. That's one reason. Or number two, the other reason is you screwed something up. You you, uh, misinterpreted something the model was trying to show you. So those are the two main reasons that forecasts go bad. Did you take any um, guff from people? Over the years, people saying, hey, you said it was going to do this, and it didn't even come close to that. You know, actually, very rarely. And, and I think the reason for that is because, um, you know, there are certain weather situations that lend themselves to making a really good forecast. You know, there are certain things, yeah, you know this is going to happen. Then there are those that are get a little in the gray area. You know, you really can never be per- perfectly sure how storms are going to track, how close they're going to come to the coast. Um when I was on the air, I would always explain that to people, you know. And I think that for that reason, they kind of gave me some quarter. Because if it didn't quite turn out the way I said, I also gave them, well, this could also happen too. Right. You know, and I think that was a big part of, uh, to me, that was an important facet of, of doing the weather on TV. Not just giving the forecast, but explaining why we're giving that forecast and what might go wrong with it. And so... I didn't get a lot of uh, negative feedback. Is Maine the first place that you worked? Uh, Channel 6 is the only station I ever worked at. Wow. And you just were looking down uh, job opportunities, and you saw Portland, Maine, and you thought, huh, that looks interesting. Actually, they they actually contacted me indirectly because they were looking. Again, this is 1979, 
And they were looking to do something that no one was doing, have a morning meteorologist on the morning news. Okay, in those days, the morning news was 25 minutes long, not like today. And it was with Cliff Reynolds? Very good. Good memory. Yep. Cliff Reynolds was the guy I broke in with. And they were so desperate because they were looking for someone who was going to work for very little money, you know. So they were calling colleges. All, all the colleges that they knew had weather departments. They were calling to see if they could find someone to come. And they called SUNY Albany, where I was. I had just finished up my, my degree. And uh, <laughs> I used to play tennis with the chairman of the Atmospheric Science Department. So we're out there playing tennis one day. And he said, Joe, I just got this call from a TV station in Portland, Maine. You should check this out. And I called. And uh, Fred Nutter was the news director. You remember Fred? He hired me, too. Yep, yep. Stole you away from Channel 8, right? Yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> but he actually offered the position to um, one of the reporters up in Bangor. And so I thought I didn't get the job, but then he called me back a few days later to say that reporter didn't want to move down to the big city. So if I wanted it, I could have the position. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember you because I remember seeing you on Channel 8. Yeah. That was my break. I had no idea what it was like to be on television. I didn't even have a television yeah. back then, but it, it certainly was. a. I loved it. Just like you loved being a meteorologist, I loved being a reporter. Yeah, well, you did a great job. Um, yeah, so Fred, I called Fred, and, and he said, well, can you send me a resume tape? And, of course, I didn't have anything like that. I never even dreamed I'd be on TV. Um, I said, no, I don't have it. And he said, well, can you come for a, an audition? So I drove here from, from Albany and uh, did an audition. And, um, you know, I don't know what they saw, but they hired me. I'm curious. You said that you didn't even have a, res a resume. You didn't even think about being on TV. What kind of a meteorologist did you want to be? Well, I thought I'd work for the Weather Service. You know, that was my goal, was to get a job with the National Weather Service. So um, I was looking into that. And it was funny because, uh, again, you know, that whole idea of somebody looking down on you. Um, I met a gentleman in Albany uh, who was on TV. He was a weather guy on TV. And we, we started playing tennis together. And he was the one who put the bug in my head. He said, you know, Joe, you'd be good at this. He said, you explain things well, because we'd have a lot of conversations. And he actually set me up with an interview with his news director in Albany. They had no openings. But I met the news director, and you know, we talked. And he said, yeah, he goes, you should definitely think about doing this. So when the call came in, uh, I don't know how long after that happened, but you know, when the call came in and, and Dr. Hamilton uh, said, you ought to check this out, Again, I'm just kind of following, you know, following that star. And um, it just happened. You know, I came here, I auditioned. I was terrible. I don't know how I got hired. Probably because, you know, I, I was going to work for nothing. You know, I just was so excited about being on TV um, that, uh, you know, they said, okay, we'll, we'll take it. Because they, they had other people, but when they told them what they were paying, everyone said, no, they turned it down. So like you, you know, everybody turned it down. So I got the job. <laughs> And you never looked back. <laughs> no, um, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd stay here because I loved Albany. I had a lot of friends there. And I thought, well, okay, I'll work here for a couple of years and I'll try to get back to Albany. But then, um, you know, living here and, and it just, wow, you know, this is really a neat place. And, uh, and Channel 6 was a great, you remember, I mean, it was run by a family, a main family. And they were right there. And it was just a wonderful environment to work. It was very, very warm and fuzzy. And they kept adding shows, and they kept promoting you, and 
before long, you were the chief meteorologist. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate. I mean, things just fell into place. Uh, again, I, the main thing is that the people here took a liking to me. And without that, as you know, in television, you're not going to go anywhere. But, you know, the feedback was good. And um, and I, you know, I guess it was, it was both ways, you know, because I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed going out and going to the schools and talking to the kids. Bringing back the cakes. Bringing back the cakes. Bruce McGarrell always loved those cakes. Um, you know, but also going out to the Kiwanis clubs and the, you know, all, all the different uh, organizations that would invite me to speak. And um, getting out and, and, you know, shaking hands and almost like a politician. Mm -hmm. But I, I enjoy, that's me. I enjoy people. I, I'm a very social person. And so it was really a match made in heaven. And, yeah, the Channel 6 quickly saw that, hey, this guy isn't all that bad. <laughs> oh, that's nice. No, you're like an institution. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd call myself that. But <laughs> but uh, now that you're retired, what does it feel like? Because Joe Cupo is like a persona. Mm. And do you stop being Joe Cupo and become somebody else now that you're retired? Or can you still be Joe Cupo? Thank you for asking me that. That's, that's a, a wonderful question. And the answer is, nothing has changed. The person I was then is the same person now. I didn't change anything when I was on television. You know, I mean, I, I behaved, I went through my life the same way I'm going through it now. So there's absolutely no difference. Yeah, I'm not going to work anymore. But I never, when I was on the air, Diane, I never took myself seriously as a TV star, you know. I was, I was a meteorologist out there trying to inform the public. And all that TV glitz stuff, I never really took seriously. Never took myself that seriously. And when people come up to me and say, oh, you're a big star. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. you know? So now I'm not on the air anymore, but I feel the same. You know, Because people, pe people still come up to you. They still ask you what the weather's going to be. Oh, yeah. oh, it's wonderful. It's very flattering. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you know, we miss you. You know, we, we really, you know, loved watching you for so many years. And, yeah, that just gives you goosebumps when you hear that, you know. And you are part of people's families. That's the message that I get, too. That you come into people's homes a couple of times a day, and they rely on you, and you do become part of their family. Someone once asked me, do you ever get tired of people approaching you, coming up to you? And I would, my answer would always be, well, the only thing worse would be if they didn't come up to me. Yeah. And I, I truly felt that. And the other thing, Diane, I remember so well, my first year at Channel 6, first early in the career, Willard Scott came to Maine. You remember Willard? I do. And he came to Maine, to, to, he, they were doing some shoots on L.O. Bean and stuff, you know, and uh, the Thompsons wanted me to go out and, you know, do a stand with him. And I got to watch him work the crowd at L.L. Bean because he was, you know, we were right there at the, in the store and people were coming, of course, they recognized him. And I watched how he treated the folks like he knew them all his life. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, that's the way to do it. You know, I, I learned a lot from him that day. And yeah, it, that, that, it's very natural for me too. It was natural for him. And I feel, yeah, that's exactly how I'm going to do this. Well, you're still doing it because from the moment I walked in the door, you were very, very welcoming. Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the Italian, too. You know, we're <laughs> but, well, where's the food? <laughs> oh, well, you want some pasta? <laughs> we can do that real fast. Okay, because I know somebody will want to know. You probably had some very challenging weather moments. 
I can remember challenging weather moments like Hurricane Bob and um, being sent out to Long Island to do a story and almost getting swept away on the mailboat. <laughs> but were there some really tough weather stories that you had to tell? The toughest one, without a doubt, was that ice storm in 98. That was just horrible. You know, I, I'd always say this about the weather in New England. You know, it might tick you off, but it won't kill you. As opposed to, you know, if you go to the Midwest where tornadoes kill people or hurricanes kill people. You know, we don't usually have that here. Yeah, you might get your picnic rained out. But, you know, more or less the weather here isn't going to kill you. But that ice storm, that was one of the worst things I ever had to predict. And the fact, the longevity of it, mm. that it just dragged on and on and on. And I remember people calling me and saying, we got our power back. And I said, great. Um, you know, if you have to do your laundry or your dishes, do them right away because you're probably going to lose it again. You know, and it's really, I said, yeah, this storm is not going away. Hmm. You know, it went on for like three days. What was it about the weather patterns that made that happen? It was, uh, in a nutshell, it was that things stalled. You know, we always do very well here if weather keeps moving. You know, even if it snows, if the storm moves, it's only going to snow for, you know, 8 to 12 hours and then it's gone. But when things stall, that's when you get in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Things stalled, and we were in a bad place. We were in a place where the temperature was right around that, you know, where it was just cold enough so that these little water droplets coming down were freezing on all the power lines, all the trees, anything, you know. And, it was, you know, freezing rain, freezing drizzle kind of thing. And again, you know, if it happens for a few hours, you can live with that. But it went on for days, yes. just days and days and days. And... Uh, you remember our tower went down at Channel 6. Um, we were off the air. Well, and actually, we, we had generators, I guess, that we, we managed to stay on the air. But uh, most people, didn't, their TVs were out. Most people were listening to us on uh, radio, mm -hmm. on the AM. Uh, we used to, our, our frequency used to get picked up uh, on the, uh, I don't know, it was 88-something. Right, it was on, on the far left yeah, of AM right, station. right. And I remember people telling me, you, you were like a voice in the night. You know, <laughs> they couldn't see us, but they would hear us. Um, but that was, without a doubt, the worst. I, I, I dreaded going to work because I hate giving people bad news, you know. And you have to go on and say, this is not going to end. It's going to go on. It's not going to end till you know, the end of the week. So hang in there. And even weeks, I remember, we went to Lisbon Falls, I think it was, and we did a story that people had been without power for a couple of weeks. Right. They had the signs at the end of the road. And while we were there, their power went back on. And the most thrilling thing was that they could flush their toilet. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to digress here now. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about you and aging. Because this is a conversation about aging. How old are you now? I have to say this. Well, no, I started telling people how old I am just recently. <laughs> I'm 68. So you're still young. <laughs> Relatively speaking, yeah. Yeah, you are. Um, and you retired at 65. Actually, I was actually uh, 63. Yeah, because that was 2016 in April. So well, let's, let's figure this out. Yeah. That was 2016. I was 64. Yeah, I was 64 when I retired. I turned 65 that summer. Right after I retired. So, yeah, around there. Has retirement been what you thought it would be? I guess I didn't really have any preconceived notions of what it would be. Um, I just knew it was time, and I knew that I had things that I wanted to do. I mean, 
you know, I love to bike ride, and now I don't don't have to worry about getting home and jumping in the shower. You know, I could I could stay out as long as I want. I love working in the yard, you know, and I could do that a lot more. And then I started pursuing some other interests. You know, I started taking voice lessons and piano lessons, and you know that musical side of me that was kind of swept under the carpet for so long. And it's amazing with all this stuff how the days just go by. Wow. Yeah. Tell me about the music. So you sing at church. What are you, tenor, bass? I'm a tenor, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I sing. I'm at St. Peter's in Portland. And um, I joined the choir there a few years ago. But and then after I joined, I said, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. So, because um, I can't, I couldn't read music. So I called up um, a gentleman who actually sang at my wedding. Uh, he's a voice coach. Uh, can I mention his name or is that? Go uh, ahead. Uh, oh, his name is David Goulet. And David's been in Portland forever. Very talented guy. And he, <clears throat> I said, uh, David, I'm 66 years old. And if this is nuts, you can tell me. But I, I'm thinking of taking voice lessons. And he just laughed. He said, it's never too late. He mm. says, you want to, you come. And he's been wonderful. I mean, we ha- I have so much fun, you know, doing the various exercises and you know he's, he pushes. You know he gets you. He, he definitely elevates your uh, you know your your abilities. And um, and then I, I wanted to learn how to read music, so I started taking piano lessons. And uh, Sylvia Infantine, who I knew from way back, um, reconnected with her, and we, we started seeing each other once a week. So between the two things now, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really really special. Yeah. And you know the same high I used to get when I was on the air. You know, you, you know how it is when you do a show and, and it's done. You just have that feeling of satisfaction. Completion. Yeah, you know, it's always a good feeling. Well, now I get that same feeling if I play a piece on the piano or I, you know, I sing a solo or whatever. Um, you get that same kind of really nice satisfaction. So it, it kind of filled in that void, you know, from leaving the station. Do you have favorite kinds of music? Um, not really. I mean, I, I love the old stuff. You know, I, I love Sinatra and Dean Martin. Um, I just sang at a uh, competition um, in, uh, at, at uh, Bates College in Lewiston, and I did a song called uh, On the Street Where You Live, which is for My mm-hmm. Fair Lady, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Was, it's just, I just love that stuff. It's funny, I, I remember joining the chorus when I was in sixth grade. I joined the chorus, and um, <laughs> the teacher was such a jerk, so I quit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think back now, I said, you know, I really kind of cut off my nose despite my face because I really do love to sing, and so um, although you know that that part of me was just ignored for so long, and now that I've gotten back into it, you know, between the choir and then the, the chorus at the Italian Heritage Center, I sing there. It's like wow, I really really love this. You know, I love rehearsing. I, I, my my piano teacher's trying to get me to do a show. You know, she's you should volunteer for like, you know, one of these city yeah. theaters or something. I don't know about that, but they put uh, on musicals here and there. Oh yeah, I know. And and another friend of mine sings with um, the PSO. He's doing the Magic of Christmas right now, and he's trying to talk me into auditioning for that next year. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I don't feel like I'm that good, but I'm just having fun, Diane. I'm just I'm having so much fun, uh, just like I had fun doing the weather. A lot of people, as they get older, they don't find the things or they don't recognize the things that would make them happy. So it's really great that you have found lots of things mm. that make you happy. So a question I often ask people is, what makes it a good day for you? I get the sense that most days are good days for you. Diane, you nailed it. That's so true. You know, I, 
Again, I don't need to travel, go to exotic places. Uh, I'm very, very happy with my life here and, and all the things that I'm pursuing. So yeah, every day is a good day. Um, and it, even when it snows, a, a snowy day is a good day because I don't have to drive in it anymore. You know? <laughs> As we all age, things change. Our physical abilities, things like that. Are you in good health? Are you still able to be as active as you used to be? Yeah, actually, um, you know, biking is a big part of my activity. I, I'm, I bike over 5,000 miles a year, so, you know. And um, that really hasn't... I'm almost riding as well now as I rode, you know, a few years ago. I, I'm, I'm sure at some point that's going to change, you know. But um, right now, I'm feeling really good. And, you know, you've got these power meters on the bike that tell you how many watts you're putting out and how much power, you know, and... I'm, I'm just as strong as I've been. So, uh, thank God, everything is is good. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still getting around. Uh, I mow the grass. You know, I have a push mower. I don't sit down on it. You know, and, um, you know, doing everything. When I go to Florida, I'll be swimming every day. You know, for not just like ten minutes. I'm in the pool for an hour, an hour and a half. You know, I do like hundreds of laps. Uh, so yeah, I'm very blessed. I mean, I've had a few issues. I had my hip replaced last year. You know, that was from a bike crash on <laughs> the wow. MS ride. Yep. Yeah, one of the MS rides I crashed, and they, they told me, they said, you're going to have troubles down the road. And you this. did. What kind of troubles? Uh, well, the, it was basically an arthritic thing, and, and it just ate away all the cartilage. Mm -hmm. So it was bone on bone with the hip. You had to have the whole, you know, the whole hip had to be replaced. So you had, a, you had to deal with chronic pain then for a while, probably. And is it a big difference now that you've had the hip replaced? Like night and day, it's amazing. Anything putting weight, you know, on that leg uh, was was painful. So yeah, I was walking with a cane for a while and you know just hanging in there. But um, you know, got it done and everything is good. Did you feel like an old man when you were walking with the cane? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, I, I still, you know, Debbie gets very upset with me when I say I'm getting old. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm an old guy, you know. So how you doing? Not bad for an old guy. She gets very annoyed with me when I say that. What kind know. of advice does she give you? Well, she just, you know, you're not old. You know, you're not an old guy. You look, look at all you do. I said, well, yeah, I know, but I am old. I'm 68. You know, I'm not 38. I'm 68. You know, on the one hand, I say that, but then on the other hand, I get on my bike and I go out and do 40 miles. So, <laughs> you know. Or you could change the narrative to, <laughs> yes, I'm old, but look at all I can do. Age no. doesn't matter. You can be an inspiration to people who sit and think, oh, I should be doing something. Joe, you've had a lot of life experience, having lived so long. Do you have any advice that you want to pass on? Well, I think, number one, what I always would tell the kids when I go out to schools is, you know, find something that you really enjoy doing and make your living at that. You know, don't, don't do stuff just because you think you're going to make a lot of money or because someone tells you you should do this. Uh, you need to, you'll be much, much happier in life if you find something that you really enjoy and you make a living at that. And I guess, and, I, and don't ever give up on, on, on your hope or, you know, if you, follow your star. I mean, I, I fantasized about being a TV weatherman as a child watching Tex Antoine in New York and saying, wow, wouldn't that be cool to do that? Of course, you never think it's going to happen. And, and yet, you know, I went to school, became a meteorologist, and then because of one phone call, boom, I get the job at Channel 6. So who'd have, who'd have thought, you know? And I guess I would say that to anybody. If, if you really want to do something, pursue it. 
pursue it, and you might surprise yourself how things will work out for you. Because there'll be times when every door will look like it's closed. It's like when you play solitaire, you know, it's like you think there's no more moves except maybe there's one card. And you turn that card, and all of a sudden, all these other opportunities open up. Life is like that. Um, there'll be days when you'll think, oh, I'm not going to get it. I'm not, not going to happen. And then somehow it happens. But you've got to have faith and, and don't, don't give up. Don't always pursue that dream. You just follow that dream, follow that star. And uh, you'll be amazed more times than not how that plays out. What do you hope people walk away with after hearing some of the things we've talked about? What do you want people to know about Joe Cupo that they might not know? Hmm. Um, boy, that's, that's a tough one, Di. Uh, uh, well, I'll just say this, all right? You said that when you came here, the way I greeted you made you feel very warm. Um, that's who I am. I want people to, you know, if they want to, if they want a hug, <laughs> you know, they want someone to talk to, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm that kind of a person. And uh, I, love, I love meeting new people. I love talking with people and getting one-on-one stuff with them. Uh, you learn new things. They learn things about you. So I guess that's how you, I think, I think you should go through life being like that. You should go through life you know, wanting to mingle and, and, and wanting to socialize and, and getting to know people and not be in your own little world, you know? Get out there, circulate, you know, and, and, and be a part of this. There's always and something to talk always, about. There's always something to talk about, yeah, besides the weather. And you'd be amazed how barriers break down and you'll get smiles. And that's what I love. I love to make people smile. I love that. If I can bring them some kind of happiness, you know, for even for a short period of time, that makes my day. Well, you've made my day. Oh, thank you. By agreeing to do this conversation. Thank you. And thank you for your hospitality. Oh, I didn't offer you anything to eat. I feel guilty. That goes against my I'll hold that one against you. (laughs) You'll have to come back for dinner. (laughs) You've been listening to Conversations About Aging a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I've been talking with Joe Cupo, one of Maine's best-known meteorologists. If you enjoyed my conversation with Joe, please share it with a friend. You'll find more episodes of Conversations About Aging on my blog, Catching Health, at catchinghealth.com. This podcast was made possible by Avita of Stroudwater, a memory care facility, and Stroudwater Lodge, an assisted living community, both in Westbrook, Maine. You'll find out more about them at northbridgecos.com. And many thanks to Smith Atwood Video Services for editing the podcast. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com.